Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week, we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. And today, we have a special episode bringing you the highlights from our event last week on diversity within the independent publishing space or the lack of it. The rise of platforms like Substack and Patreon means it's very easy for journalists to start up their own independent ventures and get paid by their followers or members to create premium newsletters and podcasts. But just because it's easy to get onto these platforms does not necessarily mean you can just as easily rise to the top. Take a look at a top 10 list of Substack content creators and you will see a dominance of white men. Why is that? We're going to hear from three media professionals with a range of experience in this field to get a sense of the barriers women face to climb the ladder in this independent content creator economy. First up is Isabel Rogal, who started the Borderline newsletter and podcast during the pandemic as a member-based community with a unique focus, global citizens and lives lived across borders. That was six months after taking a sabbatical leave from her job at LinkedIn, where she rose to become the international editor during a seven-year stay at the company. Now, Borderline is her full-time focus. Next is Qin Shi, and like Isabel, she started up an independent venture during the pandemic. Her weekly newsletter Money Talks focuses on personal finance, and the idea came when she was furloughed from her post as acting travel editor for The Independent, and she wanted to reconsider her career. When her contract with The Independent was up in January of this year, she kept Money Talks going as little more than a side hustle, a place to hone new skills, and a way to find other freelance gigs. Lastly, Thomas Bakedell is a veteran in this field, having run his own website bakedell.com since 2004. But not even 1 million views a month at this time was enough to generate sustainable ad revenue. So towards the end of 2010, he launched what is now Bakedell Plus, a paid subscription for in-depth quality media trends, patterns and analysis. It took three years for that to become profitable, so there are a few better places to comment on the hardships of indie publishing. From psychological barriers to the very real threats that women face in this field, we're going to dive into why independent publishing has a diversity problem. That's all to come, but first, this. As well as great editorial content, journalism.co.uk provides a jobs ball with the latest opportunities from around the media industry. Our job of the week is a correspondent position for TRT World in Turkey. For this position and all the rest on our jobs board, head over to www.journalism.co.uk forward slash jobs. I was in agony when I decided to leave my job at LinkedIn because I felt like, you know, I was climbing up the the, the corporate ranks. I had a very successful career. That's Isabel Rogal, the founder of the Borderline podcast and newsletter. And here she's talking about her decision to leave LinkedIn in search of a new challenge. Part of me was like, I am failing all women by deciding to step away. Like I am not following the plan. But I think, you know, you have to do ultimately what um, what works for you. Here's something we hear a lot. If you want to make something a success naturally, the first step is to take it very seriously. And that kind of requires you to put yourself out there very publicly with grand and ambitious announcements. That sets an expectation of success by virtue of fear of failure. Failure is a um, constant presence. Um, the trick is to manage it in a way that it's enough of a, of a sting to push you forward and to motivate you while not being so terrifying that it becomes paralyzing. Fear of failure is not exclusive to women, though. Here's Thomas Bakedale, the veteran media analyst behind Bakedale.com, talking about what keeps him up at night. 
I've had anxiety for 10 years about how my business is doing. There's not a day that goes by when I don't think about, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? So if you, you think about failure that way, yes. But I mean, throughout my entire life, I have always focused on change. To me, not changing is the bigger problem. And so trying something uh, is is much more interesting than than you know failure. If if something fails, that that's well okay. Then we try something else. The thing is, it's especially hard for women to fail. Indeed, Thomas says that projects prior to Bakedale.com did fail, and he just managed to chalk it up as a learning curve and get back on the horse. But it's not that easy for women to do the same. A common misperception, he says, is to try and fail in order to learn. There's a lot of, especially men, who says that you should just fail as much as possible. I don't believe anyone should do that. I think that's a very wrong mindset because you should not try to fail. You should always try to, to succeed. You should do every single thing you can to succeed. And you should, should not, not just you know, do something because, okay, let's, let's see what happens. You should, you should really think about it and try to build it up a success. That, that's my main focus. But I, I don't worry about if I fail, then I can't do anything else. If I fail, I can always start something else. Perhaps then, a good way to combat fear of failure is to refine or redefine what success means. The bottom line of a business is not always the best indicator that you're moving in the right direction. Here's Chin Shi, the journalist behind Money Talks, on what success means to her. There's obviously that... Um element of if you can take different things away from your project um you know whether or not that's a passion project or whether or not that's financial um that can be a measure of your success you know it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be a, you know a multi-million pound business at the end of the day it could just be something that feeds into what you want to do and your values um one of the things that you do when you grow a project is that you then think about how you can um, level up, I guess, and think about higher higher goals that you want to achieve. Um, and I think, yeah, your, your measure of success will change because of that. Neither Chin's money talks nor Isabel's borderline are yet profitable, but Isabel agrees that there are other metrics of success which can stop the rot associated to the fear of failure. It's multi-pronged, really. It's like, I want the success, the business success, but not without the quality of the journalism behind it. Um, and I'm also interested in it affording me um, a platform to do other things. So it is, you know, my full business, but it's also my mind couldn't possibly be satisfied by doing just one thing all the time. You know, if it brings me speaking opportunities, book deals, freelancing, writing gigs, whatever, um that that's also what what makes it successful so again it's it's a completely personal definition of it for me the best sign of success beyond the numbers is uh is the feedback that i get from the community and people saying that it speaks to them and um and it's content that they need so let's concentrate on the other side of the equation then expectations of success is it possible to fear success growing to a point where you feel undeserving of praise and afraid of being caught out as a fraud Certainly, that was something Thomas felt from the very beginning, because he had just transitioned from a very different industry. I came to the media industry from the outside. I used to work in the fashion industry, and then I came to the media industry, and then I started telling editors and journalists how to do that job. And 
what am I to do to that? I mean, I don't know anything about media, <laughs> especially not the journalism part. But but then you realize, okay, wait a minute. Actually, I do know a lot about it. And but but I mean, the first time I was hired by a very very big publisher, a multi-billion dollar publisher, to to analyze their strategy, that was like, <gasps> how can I do that? A, a former fashion person telling a gigantic publisher how to do that job. It, it's, so it's always success. I mean, but yeah, it gets easier after 10 years. And so we move closer to this idea of imposter syndrome, feeling like a fraud, that we don't belong, and that somehow we don't deserve to be where we are. And certainly an element of that is universal. Back to Isabel. Imposter syndrome, 100%, all the freaking time. And I keep having to convince myself and, and you know, I'm one of those needy people who just keeps talking to readers like, hey, do, do you like this? Like, please tell me you like this. But there are factors at play which only relate to women. There's one part of that that's especially potent for women is the extra scrutiny that comes with success. Um, and so, you know, if you have a Twitter thread or an article or anything go viral, there's part of you that's like, yay, this resonated. Someone likes this thing I'm doing. And then there's the other part of you that's like, okay, three, two, one, the trolls are coming out. And, um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, success never comes without a certain like, um, proportion of fear, worry, not always, you know, it doesn't always happen. But you always fear that it's going to happen. So might as well be the same thing almost. Um, and that certainly makes success a little bit more um, complicated, especially if you write about anything controversial as I do when I talk about immigration. We hit upon an important point that online trolling disproportionately affects women and especially those of colour. The very point of online harassment is to shut down or discourage reporting on certain topics. For women like Chin, who do not cover such controversial topics, she has not found this to be an issue compared to some of her colleagues. There are a couple of stories that I know will get refreshed every year and I would get some messages about it, but it's never, you know, I don't write about anything that's really too contentious. And I know colleagues who, you know, maybe write about politics um, or women's issues or like even, you know, tech would get that kind of harassment and and people really really go out of their way to kind of track you down you know on Facebook and just to message you and drop into your inbox in a way it's really hard to avoid because when you're a journalist you have to make yourself available to people so that they can contact you for stories but then you know then you are making yourself available to everybody. It's a very different story for Isabel who has had unpleasant experiences with some of her followers. I got a bit, a bit of a scare last year where um, I don't talk about it much because I don't know where this person is. Um, he's blocked everywhere that I can possibly block, but you never know. But there was someone who was a very regular reader of mine and I interact very freely with my readers, but it got to the point that it was emails a lot more <laughs> and the language just got a little too intimate. And, um, and I, I called them out and uh, the response was, Extremely violent and disturbing, Ver you know, verbally violent, but enough that it really scared me. And that's just that's just the reality. Um, and so now I am more guarded in the way that I interact with readers. And obviously when you're building a community-based media, it's problematic. So it is slowing my business down. That's what it is. As Chin says, journalists need to be contactable for stories. But there's a much finer point here for independent publishers. One, all business addresses are in the public domain. 
If you're an independent publisher, that probably means your home address can be found in just a few clicks. Two, if you want to engage with your members through sending out swag or merch, do you include a return business address? Because that would directly reveal your home address. For Isabel, she thinks carefully about which members receive one or not. Generally, women do get one. Men do if they are known close contacts, and the remaining member base will not. This is pulled into sharper focus on Thomas's account. His address is easily searchable on Google, and he says that for a long time, he never paid any mind to it. You know, I have some, some female friends who have gone so far as they have actually created a pseudoname because they're so harassed online and, and so targeted that they created a pseudoname just so, so that they could create something so that nobody knew who they really were. And that's scary. That's really, really scary. So there is a real, real problem. But as a man, it literally was never even something I thought about when I started. I had never been concerned about my safety. I mean, there are people who call me an idiot, but it's never anything where I say, you know, it's, it's a risk to have my address on my website. So let's spare a thought for what this means for actually talking to your members and how it inhibits dialogue. Here's Isabel again. You know, like the case I was talking about before, you just know, never know where that line is between, you know, a person being genuinely interested in your work and then just becoming a little too interested. And sometimes you're just extra cautious because, you know, you've been burned before um, and you end up sort of pushing people away who had no bad intentions and they take mm. it poorly. Uh, and the whole thing just becomes a mess. And I really wish it's something that we didn't have to deal with. Another important thing Isabel warns women about who are considering this route is having to justify expertise. And remember, expertise is a major driving force and selling point in any independent venture. And so you can expect to get mansplained in the comments. I remember, you know, my old job, I was writing a daily business newsletter. I was writing about economics and inflation and all that. And, you know, I just kept having in the comments dudes trying to explain inflation to me, you know, even though that was... That used to be my major economics. And, and I had a male colleague who was writing the same newsletter and somehow no, no one ever tried to explain inflation to him, which was probably because I was explaining it to him. So, you know, it's just um, those things are, are really maddening. Um, and it's just it really does kind of eat into your time and eat into your confidence and um, and just get um, get really um, troublesome after a while. I You know, I never got to experience some of the horrific um you know, rape and murder threats that, that some women have had to deal with. Um, but there's there's always, you know, just some level of, you know, can I just please do my work? <laughs> so we've covered a lot of the negatives that women need to bear in mind when considering going down this route. Imposter syndrome and online harassment being the two big ones. Let's switch to a positive note and hear some advice on diving into independent publishing. Here's Chin. Maybe ask yourself why you want to do it. Um, and also if you have time to do it. Uh, I think, well, I guess for me, because I write weekly for my newsletter, it takes up quite a lot of time and it's a commitment every single week. And I know um, quite a few newsletter producers, um, you know, have recently put their newsletters on pause or have quit because they realized that it was too much of a time commitment. If you have a project that's too similar to your work, it could be a conflict of interest, but you also might feel like it's, it's an extension of your job and therefore you're not getting a break from your job. Um, so what I write for my day job and what I do for my newsletter is very different. So I can think of it, you know, as two different things and I'm doing using different skills. I think you could definitely use it to build up your skills. I use my newsletter to test different things like 
subscriber acquisition, um, marketing, um, lots of different things, you know, entrepreneurship. Those are things that I'm consciously thinking about, you know, how I can use this to develop my existing skills that I could possibly use that, you know, say if I was applying for a job, I could say I've done this, this, this. And I think you kind of need to decide what it is that you want out of your project. In the process of creating my newsletter, I've tailored it in a way that works for me. So for example, my newsletter used to go out on Sunday mornings and I realized then, you know, that really puts the pressure on me, you know, to do it on Saturdays basically. And so now it goes out on Sunday evenings, which, you know, works better in terms of my personal time, but also I think it's still a good time in terms of when it hits people's inboxes. Bottom line is time management is key. And Isabel warned that taking on something as intensive as a weekly podcast is difficult to sustain. Make sure you are not biting off more than you can chew. So for instance, I very smartly started a podcast, um, an interview podcast, uh, which means I need to find and book guests and record with them. And then I edit everything by myself and it's highly produced and highly edited. That is a bonkers project to do if you're not doing this full time and even full time, honestly, uh, it is uh, really, really time consuming. Um, a newsletter is going to be easier. You're going to have less tech uh, and uh, you're going to be less dependent on other people working with you. So, you know, depending on how much time you're going to choose, what kind of media, what kind of uh, frequency you're going to publish and, and things like that, you can start with a monthly newsletter, for instance. The point is, it's a lot to take on. Thomas's hack is to make your life easier by not having deadlines. Products go out when they are ready. Simple as that. My main value is my plus reports when I talk about the media. Mm -hmm. And they are 30 to 40 pages long. So you don't just write a 30 to 40 pages article per week. <laughs> it's not possible. And then also, you know, do a newsletter and a podcast and all the other things. So the only way I found so far to manage my time, because I'm constantly out of time, is to not have a deadline. So instead of saying, this is coming out every Sunday, or this is coming out every Tuesday, or this is coming out, whatever, I am saying it's coming out when it's done. So, I mean, this week, my newsletter came out on Tuesday. Last week, it came out, I don't know when it came out, Thursday or something. Uh, and uh, that's that's the way I try to manage it. But but time is a problem. It's always a problem. And I do it full time. I, I do it. I mean, I don't have a specific hour I spend every week, but there is not a moment every day when I'm not thinking about how to build this I'm trying to build. Because the reality is you aren't just a content creator. You need to put time aside for marketing, accounting, customer support, even DIY work. Isabel says it best. That's your life as an independent producer. You're you're going to be going everywhere. Yeah, from accounting yeah. to to tweeting to to um, the hardware store. And you don't actually have to do it alone. You can if you can afford to, outsource some of the tasks to those with the right skill set. I have hired a copy editor and a proof editor, and she is absolutely the best thing I have ever in my life gotten. I mean, she's also a brilliant person, but uh, just having someone else to look over what you've done means that not only you can focus on doing what you want to do much more quicker, but it's, it's just, that's wonderful. Of course, if you cannot afford this option, then you'll need to think about combating loneliness. I do speak to people who do similar things regularly. And, um, you know, if there's any questions about 
how to do stuff, I feel like I have a network that I could turn to for that. As well as where your boundaries are as an independent journalist. It's it's definitely a challenge. I'm a bit paranoid about my fact-checking because I know I don't have someone uh, for that. I do feel like I have colleagues um, to be able to share experiences of, of what it's like to just build something on your own. And so in closing, here's Chin, Thomas and then Isabel with their single best piece of advice for women to break into the independent publishing space and start to make a name for themselves. I would say you can relaunch your business over and over again and adapt it. It doesn't need to be um, what you started with. You can change it. If I was someone who started out something new right now, I would focus a lot on what made me special and what made this unique and what made this. Because I see a lot of journalists who just go out and says, you know, I used to work for a newspaper. Now I'm going to start a newsletter about news. And that doesn't, doesn't work. I mean, we have a million newsletters about that. So I would really focus on, on finding something that made it special different just start put a stake in the ground uh if you're a journalism student especially or if you're starting out in your career you know build your platform get that email list you know get start a newsletter control your own destiny uh you know own the means of uh your own success especially um if you're you know from a marginalized background Big thanks to Chin Shi, Thomas Bakedell and Isabel Regal for speaking at last week's event. And our thanks as well to United Robots for sponsoring the talk. A couple of takeaways would be to start. Put that stake in the ground and get going with an original idea, making use of your expertise. Do not feel afraid of failure. Find other ways to determine your success. And do not fear success either. Head straight towards it. But also surround yourself with the right network. This indie community is a growing one. And that can be a crucial source of advice and support if things do get tough. If you like what you heard today, you can check out all our other episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. If you'd like to feature on the show, do drop me an email on jacob at journalism.co.uk. But that's all we have time for today. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.